Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Got your Bibles? Turn to the book of Isaiah. You know, one of the most dangerous, what I would call attributes, because it is a a human uh, emotion or a human concept or human idea, is this idea of pride and how we express it. It was pride that led to the fall in the garden. It was pride that led to the separation of the nations at the Tower of Babel. And it was pride that led the Israelites to demand a king when God was to be their king. Pride that led David to have Uriah killed so that he could take his wife Bathsheba. And the list could go on and on throughout history where we see that our pride gets in the way of what should be done. See, the thing is that pride is like dynamite. I mean, dynamite can do some amazing things. It can move mountains. It can move rocks. But it also can destroy. In a moment, it can become great destruction. You know, we all know what Proverbs says. I'm sure many people, even even in the secular world, will quote this. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's Proverbs 16, 18. Now, I, I want to clarify here and make sure we understand something about this word pride. The word used in, in Proverbs for pride, the Hebrew word means arrogance. Arrogance. So basically you say the arrogance goes before destruction and a haughty spirit, which is basically arrogance, before a fall. And yet, if we go to the New Testament, we're going to see a place here in, in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about having pride. Same word, pride and pride. In 2 Corinthians 7, 4, he says, I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. In English, we use the same word. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. What we need to understand, especially when we're reading Scripture, is that just because one word is used in the Old Testament does not mean it's the same word that's being used in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, pride was arrogance. And it, it doesn't say anything else, except for a few other things, but arrogance was the main, t- main um, definition of it. While in the New Testament, in Greek, the word pride means to boast. So what Paul is saying is, I have pride in you, I boast in you. So what's the difference? We have pride or arrogance in the Old Testament saying it's bad, And here Paul is saying pride or boasting is good. Well, pride can be good and bad. I don't know of a mother in this room probably that hasn't had pride in what their children have done. Not always, believe me. Our children don't always do things that make us prideful. In fact, sometimes they are too prideful, the Old Testament definition of pride. But whether pride is good or bad depends on the focus of what we're boasting about. It depends on our attitude. 
See, spiritual pride is giving ourselves credit for something that's not ours, but belongs to God. I did that. Yeah, I was the one who did that. No, you weren't. See, pride takes all the glory that belongs to God and puts it on ourselves. Basically, pride is self-worship. Everything, we got to understand this, everything that has been accomplished since the foundation of the world to today and everything that's going to be accomplished into the future would not have been possible had it not been enabled to be possible by God himself. And not only that, but sustained by him. He holds us together. If it wasn't for him, our molecules would break apart. The stars in the heavens, the sun orbiting around the universe, the planets orbiting around the sun, the moon orbiting. The only reason why that happens is because God did that. Not me, not you. The only reason why the only reason why Elon Musk is able to send a rocket into space and have it come back and land on its own without with a computer doing it the only reason he's able to do that and you've ever seen it happen it's amazing to watch these booster rockets come off of the rocket and then land by themselves the only reason he's able to do that is because God did it God made it possible he may not know it he may not realize it he may think he did it he's a fool if he does God did it, not us. See, self-centered pride is what happened to the northern kingdom of Israel. In their pride, they sought others, other gods. Self-worship. And they find themselves in exile among the Assyrian nation. And it's that same pride that the southern kingdom falls for. It's not bad enough that the southern kingdom fell for it. They saw what happened to the northern kingdom. And it was many years later that Babylon comes in and takes the southern kingdom because of their pride. And what we're going to see in Isaiah 14 today is while human pride brings a lot of grief to humanity, there are other creations of God who also suffer with pride. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. This is what it says. It says, For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel. And will set them in their own land and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them and bring them to their place. And the house of Israel will possess them in the Lord's land as male and female slaves. They will take captive those who were their captors and rule over those who oppressed them. See now, for us, when we have misdirected pride, what happens is we become unfaithful to God. It's a human, it's that natural path. When you have somebody who, if you take the Old Testament definition of arrogance, who's arrogant and boasts about how awesome they are, it's going to lead to them being unfaithful to God. God will always, though, be faithful. 
God is always faithful. God had made promises to the patriarchs. He had made promises to Abraham. He had made promises to Isaac and, and to Jacob. And, and God keeps his promises. He's, he's going to remain faithful to them. He's going to fulfill those promises. So he's not going to leave them in captivity forever. In his steadfast love, God will have compassion on Judah, and not only Judah, but also Israel. He's going to return them to the land once again. But the interesting thing, if you read those first two verses, is not only is Israel going to come back to the land, but people from other countries, sojourners, which are travelers, are going to come in and live with them. Guess what's happening in Israel? That's happening today. The only people living in Israel are not Jewish. There's people from all over the world who have gone to Israel. And I always tell people, you know what the safest place in the world is? Israel. They're like, what? You mean with all those missiles flying in, they've been flying in, now all the conflict and... Yeah. Why? Because it's God's city. Israel one day again will be restored to where it should be, according to God. It'll be the center of Jesus' kingdom here on earth. Now, we do know from history, we do know that under the decree of Cyrus the Great, the Israelites went back. They were allowed to go back and start by building the temple. Then the walls, that was Ezra. Then the walls were still not being built, so then Nehemiah goes back, and they get back in again. But the problem is is that they they didn't learn their lesson. I, I, I sometimes wonder if it probably maybe takes maybe one generation for us to forget the lessons of our grandparents. I, I imagine that right now, let's, let's just use an example. Let's say there was an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse, and everything, all electronics were dead. How many of us could still survive? How many of our grandparents could have survived it? They lived it. Oh, I need my. No, I don't have a cell phone. See, I can't use it. You know, it takes a generation. Is all it takes to forget the lessons our grandparents learned, and that's what happened to Israel. They forgot the lesson they learned under the Babylonians and under the Assyrians, because again, under the Romans, they are dispersed again. But remember, God keeps His promises. So in 1948. The Jewish people all come back to their land again. And here we are today. But understand that all of this is just a foreshadowing of a time when Jerusalem will actually be the center of the world. If we go to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, starting verse 2, it says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with with them as their God. The day is coming when Jerusalem will be the center of the world, and God will be there. God will reign from there. But until then, nations will come, and nations will fall. We talked about that, how God places nations and kings in place for reasons. We're going to expound on that a little bit more, but right now we know that Babylon took the southern kingdom, took Judah. But even Babylon will fall. 
And what's going to happen is Isaiah is going to use what's called a poetic satire about this king and the nation and its fall. And I understand, while it is addressed to the king of Babylon, I believe that this is a warning to all Babylonian rulers throughout history. And I don't just mean people who are ruling from Babylon. I mean all rulers who are prideful. And it's a warning for them. Verse 3 of Isaiah 14 says, When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. In modern vernacular, it might be, you know, you're going to be talking smack about him. You're going to say things to the king. This is what you're going to say. How the oppressor has ceased. He's talking to the king, the Babylonian king. The insolent fury ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers that struck the peoples in wrath with unceasing blows that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution. We see some symbols in here. The scepter and the staff are always symbols of authority and of oppressive power. You see, a most common one we probably remember seeing is would be the Egyptians. They always, they always, you know, you see the pictures of them like this, and they've got a rod and a staff. These two things hanging out of their hands. That was a sign of authority. When the king wanted to, when you came to the king's presence and he would allow you to talk, he'd hand you his scepter, so that you knew you had the king's authority, the king's wishes for you to speak. But now, their power, their rule has ceased. Why? Because God has broken their power. God is the giver of power, and he takes power away. We seem to forget that in our lives sometimes. God gives us things, and sometimes he takes them away. It is God that all leaders one day will have to answer to. Whether they believe in him or not, I love it when people say, well, I don't believe in God. Well, just because you don't believe in him doesn't mean he doesn't exist. doesn't matter. You are going to answer to him, and leaders especially, because God has specifically put them in place for a purpose. He put them there, and he's going to hold them accountable. And because of what God is doing to this king, to this Babylonian, prideful arrogant king, the whole world will respond. And this is what it says in verse 7. It says, the whole earth is at rest and quiet. It's quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at you. The cedars of Lebanon say, since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. Because of this unrighteous, prideful leader of man, the whole world has suffered because of it. I'm not going to get political. I could spend the whole time talking about just in this country how many leaders have caused the whole world to suffer. But this king has caused the world to suffer. It's mourned, it's languished, it's withered, it's been polluted, it's laid waste. Cypresses, the cedars of Lebanon. I don't think we can fully appreciate how amazing the cedars of Lebanon were. Forest upon forest in Lebanon of these trees that were used to build Solomon's temple. Beautiful cedar trees. Now, could you imagine what that smelled like when they cut them? 
I love cutting cedar. The smell of cedar is just amazing. Those trees, there are still some there, but they're mostly devastated. They're gone. Why? Because the Assyrians and the Egyptians and the Babylonians basically raped the land and took them all. But now, because this king was laid low, now the cedars are saying there's no woodcutter anymore. They're celebrating. The whole world is celebrating. This gift that God had given had man had been, and had man had mismanaged it and destroyed it, now rejoice because, not because of the king, but they rejoice at the king because you're no more. Violence against nature and, pol- and pollution due to misuse of power on unscrupulous people is an age-old problem. You know, we don't just have a problem today. It's not a new thing. Pollution, destroying our, our, our planet. And believe me, I want you to know, I am not an environmentalist. I'm a conservationist. I believe that we have been given creation as a gift from God to manage correctly. I think we have severely, in certain areas, abused it. And I think we've abused it in ways we'll never even know about because of the chemicals that we've put into it. The chemicals that we use today. But I believe we were charged with managing it well. But see, God's not going to be careless about this human sin. We're told to subdue it, not destroy it. And what is the reward for this prideful king? Now that he's been brought low, verse 9, he begins, Isaiah begins to say, this is what happens to Sheol, and I'll explain what that is in a moment, beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. All who were leaders of the earth, it raises from their thrones all who are kings of the nations. All of them will answer and say to you, you too have become as weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. The sound of your harps, maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and the worms are your covers. The whole earth, along with Sheol, the place of the dead, will respond to the death of the prideful rules. I I don't have time to go into it, but I'll be honest with you. Sheol, the place of the dead, is not hell that you think of with burning fire and the lake of fire. That's later. That's much later. Sheol is a place, in a Jewish construct, it's the place where the dead go to wait, to sleep. It's quiet. There's nothing going on. If you, if you ask a Jewish person, when somebody dies, what happens to them? It's called sleep. They believe the body sleeps. And the soul does too. There's no activity. And there are, but there are spirits there. Shades, they call them. If you ever watched the movie Ghost, I have a lot of theological problems with that movie, Ghost. But what I do, and what I find interesting is when, when the shades start to come and get the person's soul, that's probably pretty accurate. Coming through the shadows and coming to grab them and to start tearing them. We know when Jesus uh, was talking about the rich man and Lazarus, he talked about Lazarus, or the rich man talking to angels saying, you know, I'm, I'm thirsty, I'm hot, I'm you know, it is warm. It's not comfortable. It's not just sleeping. Oh, I'm, I'm getting a nice nap until Jesus comes back again. No, it's it's a place of torment or a place of paradise, depending on your position with God. Sheol is. They thought Sheol was under the ground. Why? Probably because they put bodies in the ground. So they thought Sheol is in the ground. It's below the earth. It's the nether world. Silence and inactivity is what occurs there. 
But when this king dies, what happens? All of the shades are aroused. They're woken up. And all these shades are former kings who come and say, you're just like us. You have no power. They greet him with revenge and accusations. So while the world is rejoicing that this tyrant is is dead, his eternity is going to be spent with worms and maggots. That is the destiny of all those who are prideful, especially the leaders. Now, many people will say that, well, this is actually not talking about a king. We can see some correlations between Satan, the original origin of evil. But his name is never referred to here. But I, I can tell you, we can definitely see a shadow, his shadow, behind the passage. These verses are actually about a king of Babylon who attempted to self-deify himself, which shows that in reality this king was a type of Satan. He was actually, by nature, an antichrist. This is what it says in verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, O son of dawn, How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. We can see... Images, if we go into Revelation, we can understand, we can see, and we'll go in the Old Testament, you read some of Daniel and Ezekiel, you start to understand this is an image of what could have very well happened with Satan himself when he fell. But self-deification and pride were characteristics of the Babylonian kings and the Roman emperors and many leaders throughout history. And I'll tell you today, there are many rulers today who suffer from the same thing, who suffer from pride and self-deification. What once was whispered into the ear of Eve, listen to me, you will be like God, has now become a shout. Listen to me, I will ascend to heaven. Above all the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. The whisper of evil has become the shout of evil. And that desire to self-glorify is driven by our pride. See, Satan in his pride will always try to take what belongs to Christ. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. He's a duplicator. He doesn't have an original thought. He copies everybody else. It's in his nature, and it's his, and in the, it's his characteristic that's similar in all these leaders throughout history, history who were, quote, Babylonian leaders. And I don't just mean from Babylon. I'll be honest with you, we have Babylonian leaders today in our world. I think we have Babylonian leaders today in our government. Jesus, but see, what we understand is one of the things he calls himself, that God calls him, is the day star, almost in sarcasm. But we also know the fact that Jesus is the only true star of the morning. In Revelation, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. 
I'm the shoot of the tree of Jesse, is what he's saying. The bright morning star. I mean, think about this. To take that position that I am going to do this, I'm going to ascend to God, I'm going to be God, I'm going to set my throne on high, that is pure arrogance at at an extreme. It's extreme arrogance. And pride is the essence of sin. When we sin, we're doing it in pride because we want something for us. We think we deserve it. We want it. See, the Babylonian rulers thought that might is right. We have the power to take you. We have the power to enslave you. We're going to do it. And we're right in doing it. Or else why would we have to be able to do it? They ruled with tyranny and oppression. You're going to do what I want. You're going to do what I say, no matter what you think or what you believe. That was their mantra. And they were known for their relentless aggression. But they knew nothing of mercy. Now, what's at the core of this? I I truly believe that in the Old Testament times that Satan deceived the nations. When Isaiah was talking about this king, you who laid the nations low, Satan deceives the nations. This is what lies behind the power of such tyrannical regimes as Babylon is evil itself. Satan has the ability to do certain things. God gives him a leash. Understand that he's got him on a short leash. He can't do anything he wants. He has to ask God for permission. God allows it to happen for whatever reason. And I think that even today, Satan continues to deceive the nations. See, this is why Paul in the book of Ephesians says, our struggle is not against man. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our our struggle is not against human flesh. It's against evil, no matter what it is. Uh, One thing, I'm just going to say this. That's why I believe from the start, COVID, based his, its basic foundation was evil. That's what we were fighting against. We weren't fighting against a virus. We're fighting against evil. Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Kim Jong-un, Idi Amin, Muammar Gaddafi, and many more could be added to a list of tyrannical leaders just like Nebuchadnezzar, just like all the kings of Assyria, who were all influenced or deceived by the devil, or at least used by him. And many would include Putin in that list. And I'll be honest with you, I truly believe that if we could see it, that we would see Satan walking through the halls of our government today, like a roaring lion seeing who he can devour. Praise God, we have, do have some people in government who are godly people. But they, are, they, are, they have targets on their backs. But see, the thing about it is, is all of these, all the, you know, Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Kim Jong-un, Idi Amin, Muammar Gaddafi, they all came to nothing. Nothing. And any future leader who comes to power and is a tyrant 
will have the same fate at the hands of God. They will come to nothing. This is what Isaiah says in verse 16. He says, those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms? Is this the guy we were scared of? Who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities? Who did not let his prisoners go home? I mean, this is the guy? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you are cast out away from your grave like a loathed branch clothed with, with the slain. Those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit like the dead body trampled underfoot. You're not even going to get buried. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land. You have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers never more be named. Not only will your name no longer be made, but your offspring's names will never be named again. Prepare slaughter for his sons because of the guilt of their fathers, lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts, and will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants and posterity, declares the Lord. And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and the pools of water, and I will sweep it with a broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. God is God went after Babylon. He destroyed it. And that will be the end of every, every tyrannical leader. And don't think that it won't happen to this country too. If we don't stop doing the idiotic things that we're doing, if we don't stop killing babies in the womb, God is not going to tolerate it any longer. He One day, everyone will answer. The leaders will answer for what they did. The downfall of Babylon was swift Incomplete. By the time of Christ, Babylon was nothing more than a tiny little village. This great city that had the hanging gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was brought down to nothing. Now other empires have come and gone. And for the present, Satan reigns. Satan's empire is here. But one day, his too will end. But we, we need to be careful, though, as we evaluate these leaders, any leader, any tyrant, because the spiritual pride, the same seed of it that they have to deal with, is also inside you and me. We're warned throughout Scripture to not misplace our pride if we go back and look at verses 12 through 15 of Isaiah 14, we're going to see what I call the five I wills. The king says, and Satan says, I will ascend to heaven. See, this idea that I will be heavenly. And God, God wants us to be spiritual. He wants us to be heavenly. But see, the I will says that I'm going to do it by my own power. But according to Ephesians 2.6, it is Christ who will raise us to the heavenly places. Not me. It's Christ. The other next I will is I will set my throne on high. Believe me, God wants us to rule with him. But again, not by our own power and our own strength. 1 Peter 5, 6 says that if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. The third I will is I will sit on the mount of assembly. 
God, God wants us to rule and to demonstrate great power. But again, not our power, not our own might. In Revelation 5.10, it shows that it is God who will make us king, a kingdom of priests. It's God who will do it, not us. He says, I will ascend above the clouds. This is this desire to be pure, to be holy and righteous in the eyes of others. That's what God wants. He wants you and I to be holy and righteous. But we don't do it by our own ability. We can't do it by our own ability. The only way it could happen is through Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 tells us that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And Ephesians 2.8 says that it is not our doing, but by the grace of God that we are made pure and holy. And the fifth one is the one that's been dogging us since the garden. I will make myself like the Most High. God wants us to be like Him, but not Him. Not being Him. I mean, He made us in, our, in His image. See, he, he made us with many of the attributes that He has a conscious the ability to, to decide against good and evil ultimately occurred when they sinned. He, 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 our, our purpose as being part of as being image bearers is to spread his word, to share his gospel, which is what he wants to do. We should all display godly personalities. But the only way that's possible for us to do that is because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul says in Galatians 2.20 that we have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live, but it's Christ living in us. Not me. If it wasn't for Christ, I would be nowhere near godly. And if we contrast these I wills, these five I wills of Isaiah 13... To what Jesus said in Luke 22:42, when he says he's in the garden and he's weeping because he knows what the next day is going to bring. It's going to bring the crucifixion. And he, but he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, I will is very self-centered. If I say, I want, I want this to happen, it's very self-centered. But when we say, your will... God is God-centered. See, I will shows that I, I have spiritual pride. But when I say your will shows that I'm humbly surrendering to God. See, these five I wills reveal how spiritual pride can well up inside of us and will ultimately counterfeit God's will. I, I I don't know if you've been following anything that's been going on in some of these mega churches, Hillsong being one. It's pride. It's, it's such a it's just a devious thing because they truly think they truly got themselves talked on the fact that they're doing the will of God, when in reality they're doing the will of themselves. How do we know that? Because there's sexual immorality going on, there's greed going on, they're all false prophets. And you're going to see this more happen more and more. They're going to fall. Self-pride has been the downfall of many a king, many a ruler, many a businessman, many a woman, many a, many a father, many a mother, many a pastor, many a... You name it. Self-pride destroys. 
But see, God wants all these I wills for us. He wants those things for us. But when we say, I will, we become more like Satan instead of Christ. And this is going to lead to our downfall. We shouldn't say, I will. But instead we need to say, and have this idea, this this heart attitude of not my will, Lord, but yours. His will is always for us to be humble and reaching out in love to others. Yes, and that means sometimes telling them what they don't want to hear because that's loving them. Micah 6.8 has told us, says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? What does God want from us? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what we should do. We need to put aside our sinful self-pride that destroys us and to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.